I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We uh, started a, a series a couple of weeks back on uh, manifestations of the Spirit, most commonly known of as uh, spiritual gifts. And we want to continue along that line this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. The word gifts is in italics. We say this every time we read this verse because I want to hammer this in so that you understand. The word gifts is in italics, which any time in the King James that's the case, uh, it means the translators put that word in there to try to help us with our understanding of what's being said. Um, the original Greek in the original uh, text, it says now concerning spirituals. The word spiritual is in the plural. Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, you would well understand that the translators would feel the need to put something in there because that doesn't really make sense to us. We don't relate to that kind of terminology. But the word spirituals means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So what Paul is literally saying by the Spirit of God is now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Think about what that means. Is the Holy Ghost saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about me. He's the one that inspired these words to be written. It's him that's saying it. He's literally saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about me. Yet I would submit that that's one of the greatest areas of ignorance in the body of Christ. Jesus told his disciples the work, the same works that he did, we would do also. And even greater works than these shall we do because he goes unto the Father. Well, Jesus said that he didn't do the works of himself. One of the great areas of ignorance in the body of Christ, it seems to me, is that people think that Jesus did the works because he was the son of God. Yet he said that that was not the reason that he did them. He said that he did not do the works, miracles and so forth, of himself, in and of himself. He said the father in him did the works. Well, how did the father do the works in him? By the Holy Ghost. That's why he never did any miracles. He never performed any signs and wonders or anything like that until after he was anointed of the Holy Ghost when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. The first message he spoke or preached after he was anointed of the Holy Ghost was the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And then he told what he was anointed to do, to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and so forth. In other words, he's saying the Holy Ghost has anointed me now to do healings and miracles. So it's the work of the Holy Ghost to perform these miraculous acts in Jesus' absence, physical absence, here on the earth. Well, that seems to me to be a great area of ignorance in the body of Christ. But the Holy Ghost is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning me. Well, if we don't understand that he's the power of God at work in the church today... If we don't understand how he works, then we're going to have a hard time cooperating with him when he wants to work, aren't we? Well, that's what he goes on to tell us. We'll pick up here in verse, uh, well, let's skip down to verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one, not to everyone, but one, the ones that God chooses, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit. In the original text, both gifts and healings are in the plural every time that they're used. 
gifts and healings. To another, the gifts of healings by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, the, to another prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these work at that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man separately as he wills. Now, what, for what purpose does he want to manifest himself? Well, notice over in verse 25. He said, here's why the body of Christ works together. Here's why the Holy Ghost is working in the body of Christ to do miracles and to, to bring us together. That there should be no schism. The word schism is the word lack or, or deficiency. That there should be no schism, lack or deficiency in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. In other words, one of the things that the Holy Ghost is telling us about himself and his desire to work. And again, I can't get away from this, folks. I want to, I want to impress this upon you. If God did not want to work, why did he tell us that he did? If the Holy Ghost doesn't want to do anything, if he doesn't want to do the miraculous, why tell us about himself? I mean, it'd be real easy just to ignore that part. If the, if the, the day of miracles, the age of miracles is past, as so much of the church world seems to claim, then why did the Holy Ghost tell us about himself? Why did he tell us that he's the agent that does these works? He's the supernatural agent of God at work in the earth. And this is how he works. Why tell us? It seems pretty obvious that he wants to do something, doesn't it? Now, why does he want to do something? Because he wants to fill the gaps in the body of Christ. There are things that we, we as human beings are always going to be in need of and lack that only the supernatural can make up the difference. Only the supernatural can make up the difference. There are some people that are not going to be reached unless there's a supernatural work of God that touches their hearts. We can be the best preachers in the world. We can have the best sermons developed. We can develop ourselves in delivery of those sermons. We can come up with the best outreach programs or whatever else you want to put in the slot here, fill in the blank with. But there are some people that are never going to be reached without the supernatural. And the Holy Ghost knows that, and that's why he wants to work. I got an email uh, recently from a charismatic ministry, and this charismatic ministry was encouraging people to give and to uh, give to the work that they're doing and to uh, pray and do some other things and, and it's a big long email and um, one of the things that he wanted to wanted everybody to pray about was that there would be a move of God in these spiritual gifts he called them spiritual gifts well that intrigued me and so I read through the whole thing normally I don't read long emails normally I don't read ministry emails but uh, nevertheless I read through and he went through a list of these nine spiritual gifts, identifying what they were. And he was wrong on nine out of nine of them. And I thought to myself, big ministry, well known. You'd know me know him instantly if I called their name. And I thought to myself, now here he's trying to mobilize people to pray, which is a great thing to do. But he's trying to direct them to pray based on ignorance of the Holy Ghost. Well, I'm sure he'll get credit for the motivation of his heart. But the effectiveness of the praying 
is nullified by the ignorance. And the Holy, I thought of this verse. I thought of verse 1. Now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. If there's one thing we, ought, we as Christians ought not to be ignorant about, it's the Holy Ghost. Well, let's talk about some of these things. We talked about the word knowledge last week, which is the uh, divine revelation of certain facts and events in the mind of God. The word of knowledge always deals with present tense or past tense events. The word of wisdom is what I want to talk to you about this morning, and it has to do with the future. Now, the word of wisdom is what a lot of people consider to be prophesying. Because in the mind of many people, prophesying is always foretelling the future. But let's look at it. Let's look at some examples. I'll, uh, some of them we'll turn to, and some of them that I think you're already familiar with, we'll just refer to. One of them we'll just refer to is in uh, uh, this, the message that John received on the Isle of Patmos. You remember the letters that he wrote to the seven churches. The seven churches were specific churches, literal churches in Asia that John was given information, present tense and past tense information about to identify that it was God that was speaking to them. That's a word of knowledge. But the word of wisdom came in when it started talking about future events. Now, let me define the word of wisdom for you so you'll understand what we're talking about. The word of wisdom is divine revelation concerning the plans and the purposes of God. Or sometimes it's a warning of future events that will happen according to the present course that they're on, that the individuals are on. When John was given the the revelation or the letters to the seven churches, the specific information, even down to some were more specific than others, but the specific information he was given down to calling certain people's names about the work that they had done and the things that had taken place in those churches was information that John could not have known, separated from the the rest of the world in exile like he was. It had to be divine revelation. Now, what was the purpose for that divine revelation? Well, the word of knowledge specifically hardly ever stands and is used by itself. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, any and all revelation of God would be given for the purpose of taking action or directing you to take action or to prepare yourself for something that's going to take place. Now, the things that were going to take place for the seven churches in Asia were, for the most part, not in every case, but for the most part, negative events or negative circumstances. Jesus told one church that he'd remove their candlestick if they didn't repent and if they didn't take action. So the action was to correct the situation that had been identified by the word of knowledge. And he's saying, this is what your future is going to be according to the present course that you're on. But in, in most cases, five out of the seven letters, they were warnings. Here's the bad thing that's going to happen if you don't turn around, if you don't repent. So the warning was directed for them to take the action of repentance so that they could avoid the, the, um, the negative consequence and come back to a, a positive result. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 9. We talked about Ananias a little bit last time concerning the word of knowledge. But here's where the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom work together. And they often do. Acts chapter 9 tells us about how that Saul is, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. 
And he's blinded by the glory of that light. According to Paul's testimony, he was blinded not by sickness or disease, but by the, the brightness of the glory that, of the light that shined around about him. And it says in um, beginning in verse 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus. Notice he's not a minister. He's not a pastor. He's not an evangelist or a prophet. Just a disciple. That means layman. And there was a certain disciple at, Dam- at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. So for behold, he prayeth, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Now here's direction. God gives Ananias direction on what to do. Go to a certain place, a certain house, and look for a certain man. Well, the revelation is... Twofold. Number one, here's where Saul of Tarsus is. How would Ananias know where he was if God didn't reveal it to him? He reveals to him where he is. The second revelation, the second part of the revelation, is what Paul has already seen. He's already seen in a vision. Past tense. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in laying hands on him that he might receive his sight. Now, how could Ananias know that if God hadn't revealed it to him? He couldn't. It has to be divine revelation. Now, Ananias, at this point, Ananias has everything that he needs from God to take action. And the action is go to where Saul is and fulfill what he saw in the vision. That's the action that God is intending for him to partake in or or to take. So that Saul comes again seeing But Ananias argues a little bit with the Lord about it. Verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I must show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, here's a word of wisdom that God gives Ananias concerning Saul's future. When, when Ananias comes to the understanding that he's going to be, he has been chosen for the ministry and God has a place for him in his ministry field, then Ananias acts on what he tells him to do. So notice it wasn't just past tense or present tense events, the word of knowledge that convinced Ananias of what he needed to do. But it was also the word of wisdom that gave him future information. Now, I sometimes jokingly say that once Ananias finds out how much Paul's going to suffer, then he says, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it might be. It goes on to say in verse 17, and Ananias went his way. What was it that caused Ananias to take the action God wanted him to take? It wasn't just the word of knowledge. It was the word of wisdom. Knowledge of the future. Or insight into the future. You can't have knowledge about future things, but you can have insight into what's going to happen in the future. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, now he realizes he's saved. Brother Saul, you wouldn't call an unbeliever brother, would you? Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, apparently, from what Ananias says, there's more that Jesus revealed to him than what we have recorded there. 
Jesus must have told him about having appeared to Saul. He must have given him details that are not related or referred to in the previous verses. So he says, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto me in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and rose and was baptized. There's something else that's interesting about this. We don't have record in the previous verses that Jesus said anything to Ananias about getting him filled with the Holy Ghost. But Ananias either knows enough about the Holy Ghost to know that Saul needs it, or that was information that was relayed to Ananias from Jesus that's not recorded. Either way, it took supernatural occurrences, two manifestations of the Spirit working together at one time to bring Ananias to the place where he can be an instrument and a catalyst to Saul's ministry. And look how that changed the world. Because a disciple was open, just a layman, just a believer, was open to being used of God. Now I want you to look back with me to another example that we, we looked at before, and that's First Samuel chapter 9. First Samuel chapter 9 tells us the story of Saul, who became the first king of Israel, and about how that he was looking for his father's property. There had been some donkeys that had gotten loose, And he found out he was in a certain place and somebody suggested to him that he goes to the prophet to find out where the donkeys were. So prophets were known in the old days as seers, those that received revelation. And so Paul goes, or I'm sorry, uh, Saul goes to Samuel to get revelation about where those donkeys are. And in 1 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 15, it says... uh, this is talking about the previous day before Saul ever gets there. It says, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, and because their cry is coming to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of, This same shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, what the seer's house is. And Samuel said, answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let thee go and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. Now the part that we focused on with the word of knowledge is the next verse, verse 20. And as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on thy father's house? In other words, the word of knowledge was divine revelation that came to Samuel about the property, the lost property. He said that the donkeys have been found. You're here to inquire about them, so here's the answer concerning that. But the word of wisdom was the preceding verses where the Lord spoke to Samuel before Saul ever got there and said, here's what's going to happen tomorrow. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to anoint him to be king of Israel. Now, look with me over to chapter 10. Here's where, uh, beginning in verse 1, here's where the, uh, um, the direction comes, or the word of wisdom comes from Samuel to Saul. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is, not, is it not because the Lord has anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? 
When thou art departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say unto thee, The asses which thou wentest to seek are found. And lo, thy father has left the care of the asses and sorrows for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? In other words, we found the donkeys, now we're looking for you. Then thou shalt go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor. And there thou shalt meet three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute thee, and will give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. After that thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass that when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a tabret and a pipe and a harp, and before them, coming down with them before them, and they shall prophesy. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. And let it be, notice verse 7, and let it be when these signs are coming to thee, that thou shalt do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. In other words, here's a word of wisdom saying, now Saul, here's what's going to happen to you when you leave here. You're going to meet this guy and you're going to meet these people and you're going to meet these people. And when these things happen, just like I'm foretelling that they're going to happen, realize that this is a sign from God that his hand is upon you. Now let me ask you a question. We know that the word of knowledge, we talked about the word of knowledge, mentioned it before back in uh, uh, 1 Kings. How that it, when Elijah had the contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he defeated them and then, he, then uh, uh, slew 450 of them with the sword. says he did it himself. These were rough guys back then. Serving God was not a thing for weak people. It's not supposed to be a thing for weak people today either, folks. We may not be taking swords to the enemies of God, which might be a good practice to restore. (laughs) But we should be just as strong in our willingness to stand up for what's right and what's true. But anyway, after Elijah slays these prophets of Baal, Jezebel, whose prophets they were, hears about it and says she's going to kill him by this time tomorrow. And he takes off running. Rather than standing his ground against the queen, he takes off running, gets up into the mountains and starts moaning and groaning and bewailing his situation. Oh God, I'm the last one. I'm the only one that's not backslid. Which is really kind of a poor circumstance for him to be complaining about being faithful having run up into the mountains to get rid of, get away from the queen. But anyway, he says, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. And then the Lord speaks to him. He gives him a word of knowledge. He said, I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now, how would he know that if it wasn't divine revelation? Now, here's the point that I want to make and and the thought that I want to put into your mind, and that is this. That word of knowledge, along in, this, in the same way the word of wisdom that came to Samuel about Saul coming the next day, 
We have record of it because it was recorded. But nobody told anybody anything because of what God said. Here's something that some people seem to, to have a misunderstanding or be in ignorance about concerning spiritual gifts. And that is, they think that everything God reveals to them is supposed to be told. And that's not always the case. If we did not have a need for the act to be recorded where God spoke to Elijah, we would not know that God ever gave him divine revelation. But would that take away from or diminish the spectacular and supernatural aspect of what happened? It's kind of like the old saying, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, does it make a sound? Well, if the Holy Ghost manifests and it's not told, does that detract from the supernatural aspect? It's still supernatural. It's still supernatural. And as I said, revelation from God is always designed for you to take action. To either change your course or prepare for what's coming. And it's always the case. Now, if you think about it, the word of wisdom is anything and everything that foretells the future. God had to give Noah a word of wisdom about the destruction that was coming upon the earth for him to build the ark. God gave Jonah a word of wisdom about Nineveh being destroyed, except they repent. And remember, Jonah didn't want them to repent. So he started running from God, and the whole thing about being swallowed by the fish was the result of it. So here's a word of wisdom to be given to the people of Nineveh so that they can take the action of repentance to avoid the judgment that's coming. Now turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 38. We want to, since I'm already kind of going in this direction, I want to speak to it a little bit more specifically. Isaiah chapter 38 tells the story of Hezekiah. Beginning in verse 1, it says, And in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. He's the king. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord. So this is God talking. These are God's words. Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and shall not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. And said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart. And have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah saying. Go and say to Hezekiah. Thus saith the Lord. The God of David thy father. I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold I will add unto thee thy days fifteen years. So what is going on here? Isaiah gets a word of wisdom about Hezekiah. That he's going to die. What does that mean? Does that mean that that's ordained and cannot be changed? No, the whole reason God is telling Isaiah to tell Hezekiah. See, if it was, if it was something that couldn't be changed, if it was something that this is the way it is no matter what, then there's no reason to tell Hezekiah. Isaiah could have just received the information from God. The Lord could have just told Isaiah, well, the king's going to die. Get ready for a new king. But he sent him to Hezekiah for the purpose of Hezekiah taking action to change it. So what this is, It's not set in stone. It's a warning about the results that are going to happen 
on the present course that Hezekiah is on. But Hezekiah changes his course. He turns his face to the wall. He cries out to God. And God hears his prayer. And before Isaiah can even get out of the courtyard, goes back, is instructed by the Lord to go back to to the king and say, God heard your prayer. He's going to give you 15 more years. See, some things can be changed. Some things can't be changed. They have to be prepared for. Now, revelation, whether it's the word of knowledge or word of wisdom, revelation from God can come in different ways. We see revelation coming to Ananias in a vision. We see a revelation coming to, to John on the Isle of Patmos in a vision. We see revelation coming to Isaiah here. Just thus saith the Lord. It must be the Lord just spoke to him. Doesn't say anything about a vision here. We don't know how God spoke to Noah or to Jonah. But the fact that the Bible doesn't tell us that there was a dream or a vision or some other spectacular occurrence indicates to me that it's just something God spoke and said. But now Joseph received words of wisdom in dreams. You remember the dream Joseph had about uh, the, out in the field where the shocks of wheat of his brothers bowed down before his and the sun and the moon and the stars bowed down before him? Well, that was a word of wisdom. But how did it come? It came through a dream. Then the word of wisdom came to Pharaoh when um, uh, Joseph was a prisoner in Egypt. A word of wisdom came to Pharaoh in a dream concerning the years of famine and the years of plenty. Seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And Joseph interpreted those dreams to show God's plan and purpose. Now, that wasn't something that could be changed. That was something that had to be prepared for. And that's where Pharaoh elevates Joseph to be prime minister to take care of the administration of what he's interpreted. He's shown that the hand of God was upon him. So these things can come in different ways. Now turn back with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. With that in mind, I want to point something out to you. Because this is an area of great ignorance in the body of Christ, it seems to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is still talking about the work of the Holy Ghost. Notice in chapter 14. Um, well, let's just start in verse 1. It says, follow after charity, meaning love, and desire spiritual gifts, desire spirituals, things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. And notice the order he puts in this. He said, pursue love. That's what follow means. He says, make love your goal. Make that your aim. Set your heart on walking in love. Desire the things of the Spirit. Now, most charismatics operate just the opposite. Most of the charismatics part of the church wants to move with the Holy Ghost and they put a lesser emphasis on walking in love. Which may be part of the reason why the Holy Ghost doesn't do any more than he does. Here's the Holy Ghost saying, here's what your order of importance should be. Focus on love first. And again, since this is Paul speaking by the Holy Ghost, it's the Holy Ghost saying, desire the things concerning me. But follow after love. But rather that you may prophesy. Now, here Paul is speaking specifically to the situation that's going on in the church at Corinth. I think some of this information would have come across to us in a different way if the church at Corinth wasn't so out of order. 
apparently in their services, as Paul refers to later on in the chapter. In their services, sometimes they're just speaking out in tongues for, for the entirety of the service or the majority of the service, whatever the case might be. And people coming in from the outside that are unsaved or Christians that have not been filled with the Holy Ghost that don't understand about what speaking in tongues is about, they're confused and they leave the services thinking these Christians are crazy. Now, folks, now that was important in their day. Because remember, we have a tendency to to think of things according to a Western mindset and according to our pattern of churches. But these were uh, these were churches in cities that were worshippers of pagan idols and stuff like that. the The church was greatly slandered in many, many, many ways by the by the unbelievers. So for the unbelievers to leave the services and talk about the Christians being crazy because they speak in tongues, that was a real issue. That would keep people from coming into the family of God. We see a little bit of that today, but to a much lesser degree, with churches that emphasize emphasize tongues and interpretation or the supernatural above anything and everything else. And it scares some people off. I, I, um, I had a real desire. I was, uh, a desire was growing in me as a young man for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I was like a lot of other people, I guess. I came to the place where I wanted the, uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but I just didn't want to fill with the tongues. And part of the church, modern-day church, has developed a whole doctrine about that. They say that they've got the Holy Ghost, they just don't speak with tongues. Well, it's like Brother John Osteen used to say, you can't buy us, and less so nowadays with the way fashion is than it used to be. But he said it's like buying a new pair of shoes. The tongues come with it. <laughs> you can't be baptized or filled with the Holy Ghost without tongues. Not scripturally. Well, I'd get, there was one church in our town that spoke in other tongues. And they were the only place, I mean, really, literally the only game in town when it comes to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But those people scared me. I didn't want anything to do with them. They were crazy. They'd get you down there. I went one time to their prayer room to get filled with the Holy Ghost. What a waste of time that was. I had people slapping me on the back and screaming in my ear. Some people telling me to, to let go. Some people telling me to hold on. I had some people tell me, say this after me, kind of stuff. It was just crazy. God was nowhere closely associated with that. Then I got around Brother Hagin's ministry, and I heard it taught according to the word, and it became simple and became clear, and I've never been afraid of it since. Ignorance of the Holy Ghost does a great deal of damage. It hinders God from doing the things that he wants to do. Well, back over here to 1 Corinthians 14. Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, things pertaining to the Holy Ghost, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Speaking in tongues is speaking to God then. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. So he tells us two important things about speaking in tongues. Number one is not speaking to other people, which does away with what a lot of people think 
speaking in tongues is nowadays. See, a lot of the church says we don't need the, the speaking in tongues part because now we can learn other foreign languages. Well, what do you do with other foreign languages? Don't you speak to men? That's not what speaking in tongues is. It's speaking unto God. Secondly, it says that speaking unto God is speaking uh, mysteries. Howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Really, there's three things here. It says speaking in tongues is speaking in the spirit. Speaking in tongues is speaking in the spirit. Speaking in English is not speaking in the spirit. In other words, when you speak in tongues, you're talking directly to God who is a spirit. It's your spirit communicating directly with him. Now, what are you speaking? Well, the King James translation says you're speaking mysteries. I like another translation. It's Weymouth's translation that says it a little differently. It said, how be it in the spirit? He speaks divine secrets. Divine secrets. Now, if you don't want to speak to God in the spirit and speak divine secrets, then just forget about tongues. When you put it like that, it's kind of hard to resist, isn't it? Doesn't mean people won't resist it. It's kind of hard to make an argument for resisting it, though. Paul goes on to say in verse 3, and here's what I've really been trying to get to. Verse 3, but he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, this goes back to verse 1 where it says, follow after love and desire things pertaining to the Holy Ghost. But rather that you may prophesy. Put your desire on prophesying instead of speaking in tongues because the church in Corinth was such a, so out of order when it came to speaking in tongues. Then he tells you what speaking in tongues is and the benefits of it. Thank God for the benefits. But then he says, but when you prophesy, you're speaking unto men. Prophesying is speaking unto men for three things, three reasons, three purposes. For edification, for exhortation, and for comfort. Edification means to build somebody up. Exhortation means to encourage them, and comfort means to bring them peace. Now, notice he says that prophecy, the simple gift of prophecy, one of the, the nine manifestations of the Spirit to another is given by the Spirit, prophecy. Notice he said that prophecy in itself contains no foretelling whatsoever. Anything that you're inspired by God, prophecy is defined as inspired utterance in a known language. A language that you and the hearer know. If you're inspired to speak something that builds them up. Then that's prophecy. Teaching and preaching should have an element of prophecy to it then shouldn't it? If you speak to somebody in a language that they understand. That encourages them. If you're inspired by the Holy Ghost to speak something that encourages them. Then you've just prophesied. If you're inspired by the Holy Ghost to speak something that brings them peace, then you've just operated in the manifestation of the gift of prophecy. Well, where's the foretelling? Where's the speaking about the future and all the stuff that the modern-day church world seems to think prophesying is? Well, let's look a little further into the chapter. Verse 24, But if all prophesy... Speaking unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. But if all prophesy, and there comes in one that believes not or is unlearned, he's convinced of all, he's judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. In other words, it's saying this. 
It's saying prophecy, the simple gift, the manifestation of prophecy, is to speak to men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. It's divine, uh, divine utterance in a known language or a known tongue. But he says prophecy is the vehicle whereby the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom or some other means of revelation might be communicated. Prophecy is not the revelation itself, but it's the vehicle whereby the revelation travels. Just like most of us in the room came by car to to the church today, but your car is not you. You can separate yourself from the car, but the vehicle that you came in is sitting out in the parking lot. Well, the vehicle is like prophecy. The revelation is separate from that. And so when Paul talks about prophecy here, he's speaking of the, the specific divine utterance given in a known language that may sometimes contain revelation. But if prophecy contains revelation, then it's a word of knowledge communicated by prophecy or a word of wisdom communicated by prophecy. Can you see the difference? If people understood that, it would change a lot of the way that the church world talks. For example, how many times have we heard of prophecy teachers? What's a prophecy teacher? According to the Bible definition, there'd be a teacher that speaks unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Well, would you want a teacher that doesn't? But what does the church world mean when it uses these terms of prophecy teachers? Oh, teaching about the future. Teaching about the book of Revelation. Going to show you things to come. Well, there are people that are given to that area of ministry. But they're not prophecy teachers. It aggravates the stew out of me. When the church and leaders in the body of Christ don't call things what the Bible calls them because it leads to confusion. And nine times out of ten, the reason that it's not or the result of not calling things the way the Bible speaks of them draws attention to the individual and not God. Which leads me to believe that there's a real work of the devil to try to keep you from saying things the way the Bible says them. Because it can detract and take away. Now my time's running out, but there's a couple of things I want to cover real quickly. Turn with me over to um, Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21 tells us about a man that was used of God. He was a prophet. Let's start reading in verse uh, 8. And the next day we, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts and he's part of the company. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, one of the seven original deacons in Acts chapter 5, or Acts chapter 6, excuse me, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters virgins, which did prophesy. 
Now, what does that mean? That means they're used of God, given inspired utterance of God on a, a somewhat regular basis, frequent basis, to speak on his behalf. Doesn't say anything about revelation. Just says that God sometimes uses them and gives them things to say on his behalf. That's what inspired utterance would be, isn't it? So he had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet. Everybody say prophet. That's a ministry office. Notice the the girls, the daughters prophesied, but they're not prophets. There's a difference. There's a difference in God using you to speak and standing in the office of a prophet. But Agabus is a prophet. Well, you would expect expect the prophet, somebody that stands in the ministry office of a prophet, to be a little bit well, more well-versed in, in these things and things concerning the Holy Ghost, maybe even revelation, than just somebody that God uses to prophesy, wouldn't you? I would. So it came down a certain from Judea, a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. Thus saith the Holy Ghost. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him from in, into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place, now we means Paul's company, they of that place means Philip and his daughters. Both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, can I ask you a question? Is Agabus of that place? Agabus is the only one outside of Paul that is not identified as trying to get Paul to change his plans. Now, Revelation is designed for you to take action. You're going to have to decide what the action is. Here's a word of wisdom. Agabus delivers a word of wisdom by binding Paul's hands and feet and said, this is what the Holy Ghost is saying. Paul will be bound in the same manner when he gets to Jerusalem. Well, we, Paul's company, Luke and his group, and they of that place, the ones that live in Caesarea, not Agabus who came down from Judea, Assume that the action is to talk Paul out of going to Jerusalem. Now, folks, please understand this. The word of wisdom in and of itself does not give direction. It foretells the future. The the direction to be taken is, is up to the individual. Well, everybody except Agabus and Paul decide that the action should be for Paul to change his travel plans. But notice what he says. Notice what the Holy Ghost gives us as a record. And Luke being the writer, he was there. This is first-hand information. When we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean you to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, he's saying, Look, the action to take here is to be prepared for it. Not to change it, but to be prepared for it. Well, they don't want it that way. 
You could well understand it. If we were there, we probably would be part of the group. Oh, we don't want you to go. We don't want you to be in prison. Of all the things you've already suffered, we don't want to add to that. But notice the result in verse 14. And when he, Paul, when he would not be persuaded. When he, Paul, would not be persuaded. Now think about what that means. Here's a word of wisdom coming through a prophet that did not persuade Paul to change his mind. Not that he, the prophet Agabus, tried. But the revelation that he brought was not sufficient to change Paul's mind about going to Jerusalem. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased. We gave up. Saying, the will of the Lord be done. What does that mean? It means very simply that Paul convinced them that it was the will of God for him to go to Jerusalem. And that the word of wisdom was just to prepare for what was to come that he already knew. He, the Bible tells us before in previous verses that every city that he went to, the Holy Ghost witnessed to him that bonds and afflictions were awaiting for him in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 19, when he's in the middle of the biggest revival that he ever had, is when God speaks to him to go to Jerusalem. Um, it's in verse 21 of Acts chapter 19. And after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now, what does that mean? What is that telling us? It's telling us that Paul had a direction from the Holy Ghost. He had a witness from the Holy Ghost. Here's what I'm supposed to do next in ministry. And that witness he had from the Spirit of God, please, please, please get this. Because so many people are trying to direct their lives or get direction in their lives from some prophet or some word of God or some prophecy or some something. And they make wrecks out of their lives. Notice what it's telling us. It's telling us that the witness that Paul had from the Holy Ghost about what he was supposed to do was strong enough to hold him steady when everybody else was telling him that he's doing the wrong thing and there were manifestations of the Spirit one right after another. We don't know exactly how, but it said it witnessed in every city that bonds and afflictions were awaiting him. That means the Holy Ghost is manifesting himself in some means of future revelation. The word of wisdom may be in greater degrees in some cases, lesser degrees in other cases, but it's still the same revelation. Here's what's ahead of you. And everybody takes the same position. That means don't go. And Paul said, that's not what it means at all. Folks, you need to understand something. Paul is writing from experience when he writes to the church and says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirits. And that's the way we're led of the Holy Ghost. Not by prophecy, not by manifestation of the Spirit, but by the witness of the Holy Ghost. That will never lead you wrong. Ever, ever, ever. Now with that in mind, let me, let me make some closing comments. Every one of these nine manifestations of the Spirit is an amplified version of the work of the Holy Ghost on the inside of each one of us. For example, the word of wisdom talks about future events. 
Well, didn't Jesus say that the Holy Ghost in John chapter 16, verse 13, didn't Jesus say the Holy Ghost would come and dwell with you forever and that he would show you things to come? What is showing you things to come? It's the same work as the word of wisdom just on the inside of you rather than being a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. It's no less supernatural. It may not be any less spectacular. It's just not as public. But it's the same Holy Ghost doing the same work. Every one of these nine manifestations of the Spirit, every one of them, is just an amplified version of the work of the Holy Ghost inside of you already. Do you understand what I mean by that? For example, in Second Kings, uh, I think I wrote it down. Let me refer to it. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. In Second Kings chapter 7, it tells us about how that Israel is being besieged. A certain city was being besieged and starved out. And, the, and it's so great that people are killing each other and eating their kids and just terrible conditions. And the prophet speaks a word of deliverance. He says, by this time tomorrow, I mean, everything is so awful and so terrible. He says, by this time tomorrow, what is considered to be so precious and so valuable and so expensive will be nothing. Deliverance will come tomorrow and the spoils that will be in your hands is just tremendous. Well, it happens just the way he said. Happens just the way he said. But would it have been any less supernatural if God had spoken to the heart of somebody rather than in a public manner through the prophet. For example, what if God, instead of giving you deliverance, telling you about foretelling your deliverance in some spectacular way like the prophet did in that case, what if he just speaks to your heart, brings to your heart a scripture that says God redeems your life from destruction? Now, I'm not trying to take away from the supernatural aspect of the the nine manifestations of the spirit what i'm doing trying to do is to emphasize the supernatural aspect of god speaking to your heart because he's going to do that a whole lot more than you'll ever get a word from somebody i don't trust people that are always giving out words anyway do you Personally, I don't want a word. I've got the word. And in my experience, every time that I've gotten a word from God in some spectacular way like that, it meant real trouble was coming. And it was something I had the chance to remember back to and hold on in some of the toughest times. So if I'm not getting a word, I'm happy. I don't think people realize these things. The point I want to make is Paul knew the Holy Ghost, the voice of the Holy Ghost, and the leading of the Holy Ghost so much on the inside of him, he wasn't turned around by what anybody said, prophet or not. And again, I don't want to leave the wrong impression. Agabus is the only one that's not trying to give direction. Everybody else is. But the one that has the most experience with revelation doesn't say anything except thus saith the Holy Ghost. Here's what the Lord is saying. Here's the revelation that God is bringing. What you do with it is up to you. You've got the same Holy Ghost on the inside. 
and he shows you things to come. Some of the most special things, most precious things I've ever had have just been simple things that the Holy Ghost will bring back to me. Usually happens to me when I first wake up in the morning. A place between asleep and awake. And the Lord will just give me part of a scripture. He leaves it up to me to finish it. And those are things that are so precious to me. Because it's a manifestation of the Spirit of God. Not some big public thing. I don't need it to be big in public. But I think so often the Holy Ghost is doing things like that for us. Leading us. The still small voice. Just the inward witness. And we discount that. Because it's not public and it's not showy. But that's the Holy Ghost. That's God bringing deliverance. He's bringing direction. He's bringing victory. Amen. I would encourage you folks. Develop yourself in spiritual things so that you know the leading of the Holy Ghost on the inside. So that you're not swayed when most everybody else around you will be. I see a lot of people being caught up in a lot of stuff now. People making determinations on what God said or what the word says. And the action that they're deciding to take or telling other people, recommending to other people that they take is not what the Bible says at all. It's not what God has spoken whatsoever. The action that you take is up to you. That's where you need to know the witness of God on the inside. We need to be so sure of that that nothing moves us from it. I'm amazed. I marvel at Paul being able to withstand everybody trying to talk him out of doing what God wants him to do just because there's going to be trouble down the road. Paul's developed himself to the place trouble's not going to move him. He said, I'm ready to go to Jerusalem if it means my life. What's that? The important thing is to follow what God's told me to do. Shouldn't that be important to us? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the privilege to be led by the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit manifests himself in us and through us. I thank you for manifestations of the Spirit that fill the gaps that we have as a church body and a church family. For that reason, Father, I thank you for gifts of healings and special faith. I thank you for vocal gifts of the Spirit, revelation gifts of the Spirit, and power gifts of the Spirit. You know what people need, Father. And you know what they need is not always what we think we need. So, Holy Spirit, we give you free reign and course in this church. At any time and at every time. To manifest yourself according to your plan and purpose, not according to ours. We're not asking you to fit in with our program but to manifest yourself according to your plan and your purpose to meet the needs of the people. For that reason, Father, I thank you for opening spiritual eyes. 
cause us to see the answers that are already in front of us. So often it seems, Father, that we'll look away from the truth of the word looking for something spectacular. As someone once said, we miss the supernatural looking for the spectacular. Let that not be the case with us. Let us not be people that are taken up by hype. That are not persuaded by that which seems flashy or hip or with it or current or whatever words people want to use for them. But that we be people that are not moved, firmly established upon your word. That we would be people that follow after love with a great desire for the Holy Ghost to manifest as he wills. Father, if it was up to me, I'd have the Holy Ghost manifesting himself in every service. But I'm not looking for this thing to go according to my plan and my purpose. Have your way. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us. We thank you for ordering our steps. We thank you for bearing witness with our hearts for what we should do, what action we should take. You're so faithful, Holy Spirit. You've never let us down. You always got us into victory. We thank you for living big on the inside of us. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Say this after me. Let your heart agree with it. Don't just repeat these words, but say it after me. Close your eyes so you can block out everybody else. Say this after me. The Holy Ghost dwells in me. The Holy Ghost lives big in me. I give him free reign and course to lead me, to guide me, and to direct me. We choose as a church family to allow the Holy Spirit to manifest himself as he wills in vocal gifts, in revelation gifts, and in power gifts. We ask you, Father, to manifest yourself to meet the needs of this church family. Help those in need, Father, through the work of the Holy Spirit. We ask you, Father, that there be no lack in this church family. That every sick person be healed. That every poor person would prosper. Every depressed person would be at peace. Every need would be met in Jesus' precious name. That's our desire, Father. According to your word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Folks, I'm convinced that when we start caring about each other and not just about ourselves... 
It'll set the stage and plant the seed for God to bring about a great harvest. Don't pray for God to use you. Pray for God to use the other guy. Don't pray for God to minister to you. Pray for him to minister to your neighbor. Pray for God to work on behalf of those that need it. I know a lot of people want to pray for my healing. Don't pray for my healing. I got it. I got that. I know what the word says. I'll stand on it forever. Don't spend your time praying for me. Pray for somebody else that doesn't know. When we turn our attention on others, we'll see God do great things. Amen? Amen. Well, let's all stand. Forgive me for going over time, but Barry and Mark took up all my time earlier on. (laughs) Say it with me. The Lord lives big in me. By the Holy Ghost. Ghost. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Come back to be with us tonight.